right, I'm at the uh, National Fire Academy, and sitting across from me is Superintendent Eric Scablix. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, my uh, career in the fire service started as a volunteer firefighter in uh, Adelphi, New Jersey. Uh, so one of my friends told me I should join up, and I did. Uh, and the next thing you know, I was a firefighter, and I went to the County Fire Academy. Uh, a few years later, as I was working up the ranks to become an officer, I uh, went to the County Fire Academy again uh, for a two-day National Fire Academy class that they were hosting. Uh, I attended the class. It was great. That eventually led me here uh, to the National Fire Academy for some additional classes. And then uh, eventually I became a lifelong uh, student of NFA classes and other professional development opportunities. So um, what happened for me is... Um, Started as a volunteer firefighter, then continued in the fire service in New Jersey, then moved to Oregon after being married. Uh, was part of Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue for a number of years. Uh, and then I became the state training director in Oregon. So okay. uh, my role kind of changed from being a student to being then an advocate for the National Fire right. Academy. Um, because the National Fire Academy delivers nine two-day classes uh, to each state across the country free of charge. So uh, I wanted to make sure that we got our nine classes, and then I was also more than happy to take classes from other states uh, that couldn't deliver their nine. So we wanted to make sure that we were giving uh, our career volunteer firefighters in Oregon a lot of opportunities for classes, and NFA obviously met that niche. Um, In addition to being a state training director, I was also the president of the North American Fire Training Directors, which represents all 50 states uh, and our Canadian provinces. And and there, of course, from a political standpoint, we wanted to make sure that the National Fire Academy and the U.S. Fire Administration uh, was not only healthy financially, um, but also to meet its obligations from legislative actions, which is to serve the nation's fire service. So uh, pretty neat to be part of that. Uh, And then also I became a member of the Board of Visitors here. Uh, at the National Fire Academy. So um, that is very similar to a board of trustees at a college or university. Okay. Uh, it's a presidential White House appointment. So I served on the board wow. uh, for a number of years. And the board's uh, mission is in federal law, uh, which is that the board ensures that the National Fire Academy uh, has the resources to meet the needs of our career volunteer and EMS providers across the country, uh, is funded to meet those needs, and at the facilities Uh, also meet the needs. So the Board of Visitors is kind of a a guardian, if you will, of the campus and the programs uh, and can ask Congress uh, and the White House for the things that the fire administration can't because they're empowered to basically give a report each year to the White House about how we're doing. So, I mean, you start out as a volunteer in New Jersey Mm -hmm. and you end up as superintendent of the National Fire Academy. And along the way, you had a, a presidential appointment. Yes. Yeah. That wasn't that I'm, I'm guessing that wasn't part of your plan. No, <laughs> no, my plan was, well, a couple of things. One is my plan was never to move to Oregon, right? Okay. I, you know, I left my family and my friends and, and moved west uh, to, to marry the woman of my dreams. And that okay. was a great opportunity. And uh, as a result, I did things in Oregon that I would have never done in New Jersey. I mean, I never thought right. I would be a state training director, and I was, and uh, ran well, a very successful program. Tualatin's a, a pretty progressive department from what I know. It's right? a very progressive department. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It serves three counties. Uh, with a career volunteer uh, organization. So it's a combination department, uh, very progressive. Uh, And then the state of Oregon was also very unique because uh, the state of Oregon is not a very large state as far as public safety providers. So uh, roughly 13,000 firefighters serving 4 million people, uh, of which 70% are volunteer, about 6,000 police officers, uh, and that includes city, county, state, tribal. So um, everybody worked really well together. Um, A couple of things I did in Oregon that was kind of unique, helped design uh, the new state academy, so a 235-acre 
uh, facility um, that has over 15 buildings uh, that serves all public safety providers. So we had a city village uh, in the back with city streets buildings that allowed us to do scenario-based training. Uh, Obviously, we did the regulation side with the certification um, so just something that was pretty neat. And then right. obviously, you know, with my uh, time at the National Fire Academy, I also went through the executive fire officer program like you're going through. Uh, and I'm proud to have the certificate here in my office right. that I that I met that milestone. So it's a it's a pretty neat opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, granted, you were you were in charge of the, the training uh, in Oregon, but the move to the National Fire Academy is kind of a different uh there's no hose here. There's no uh, forcible entry tools here. It's a different kind of training, but it's still, I think, critical. Sure. To yeah. the fire service. Yeah, and 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 there's like like there's two parts to this, right? So on one hand, um, you know, why would I apply? So so when the announcement came out, um, I looked at it and I talked to my wife. And the National Fire Academy um, has always been near and dear to me. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is that the classes, the professional development opportunities that I received from this organization, uh, the network that I've made and still uh, maintain right. uh, is amazing. Uh, and I always valued the organization because it's helped me personally and professionally. Um, the, the other thing is to make sure uh, that the organization uh, continues to meet the needs of our firefighters across the country. And right. it's, you know, depending on who I talk to, if I meet with volunteer firefighters, they'll say, well, the National Fire Academy is just for career people. Right. If I talk to right. career groups, they say, well, you're just for volunteers. And the honest answer is we're for both, <laughs> right? It just depends on, on who you want to ask. But <laughs> That's just a reason for them not to right. come, right? You know, but we reach 25,000 people a year on campus, another 75,000 off campus. So right. the organization is amazing. Uh, and for me, it was a chance um, to do something I, I always have cared about. Uh, and it's not that I didn't like Oregon anymore. I, I love my job, but I was there for 30 years, the last 10 as the director of the state agency. So it was time to, I think, move on. Right. Uh, and in part, you don't want to stay anywhere too long where you get stale, right? You want to yeah, stay relevant. Yeah. You want to stay connected. And I was, um, but I always also thought it was healthy for the organization to kind of have a new uh, leadership role come in. Right. Uh, and then, of course, for me coming to the National Fire Academy, it allows me to to bring my talents and skills here to this organization and, right. and kind of do the things that, that I see needing to be done across the country. Yeah, we, we talk on the podcast sometimes about making sure that you're uncomfortable. Yeah. And then once you get to that comfortable point, it's time to move on. Yeah. And, so. and, you know, and that was the one thing. And, and I think it really uh, is a very nice connection to what the superintendent does, because, um, you know, as an agency director, as a fire chief, you are managing relationships and you're building partnerships. Right. Uh, and that's what the National Fire Academy is all about, managing relationships and building partnerships. We're serving uh in, in theory, every firefighter in the United States, um, we are the National Fire Academy. But what's interesting is, and it ties into your question, uh, a lot of my coworkers, when I said I'm coming to the National Fire Academy, they go, geez, how many fire trucks are there? There must be right. thousands, right? Because right. you're thinking of this giant <laughs> fire academy with 40-story right. burn buildings right, right, and right. You know, people climbing ladders all day. And the honest answer is there isn't a single fire truck here on campus, right? right. We, we have... Uh, a burn range where we train fire investigators, but we bring in a local fire company uh, to extinguish the fires that we start there for fire investigation. <laughs> right. So, you know, our fire department is right up the street here in uh, Emmitsburg and it's Vigilant Hose Company. So, right. um, you know, you won't find a fire truck here. You won't uh, learn how to pump an engine here. You won't learn how to throw a ladder here. You won't put on a defibrillator on somebody here. You won't take somebody's blood pressure here because that's not what we do, right? right? We're the National Fire Academy. Um, and it goes back to the vision of this organization being built um, because there's a report that a lot of your listeners probably have read uh, called America Burning. 
We hope they've read it. Right. We or at least listened to it. Right. <laughs> and we're in the process of updating that because it's been a few years. So we're updating America Burning. Uh, because of the wildland urban interface issues that we see on the news, uh, not any more seasonal, but year-round, right. honestly. Um, previous U.S. Fire Administrator Keith Bryan uh, directed staff to also do a wooey edition of America Burning. So both of those should be coming out in the fall. But, but I share that because the vision within America Burning, uh, just under 50 years ago, because we're not a very old organization, was that the American Fire Service needed to have a facility very similar to West Point. And not right. that we are training soldiers, but we're training firefighters, fire leaders, sure. current and future, uh, to do very difficult tasks. So that was the vision to have the National Fire Academy develop our current and future leaders, but not to do what's done at the local state level. So we're not we're not replacing what they're doing. We're not copying what they're doing. We're really supporting what they do. So the class right. um, executive fire officer that you're here for, uh, you won't find that anywhere else in the country. Right. Our community risk reduction program, fire investigation. So we do things that are niche markets for us that we're not competing with somebody else at a state or local level. So it's pretty exciting to be here. Yeah. No, I, I see what, what the training that you guys are putting out is what the future of where the fire service needs to be going. So it's, you're always, you're always out there a little bit past where probably most firefighters realize that we need to be, mm -hmm. but you, you said the, the national fire Academy is not that old. And I, I don't know that most people realize that because it, it did come out of the, the U S fire administration being right. born out of America burning and, can you tell us a little bit about the just the the facility here? And I, you've said in a, another interview that I was reading that you consider it, you know, hallowed grounds, and it, it really is. It is hallowed grounds, uh, and and for a couple of reasons. So so it, as your listeners imagine the National Fire Academy, like we said, you won't find a fire truck, you won't find a burn building. That's not what we do. But you will find something that looks very similar to an Ivy League college campus. Yeah. Uh, it is more than 150 acres in in our coverage here uh, in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Uh, some of the buildings on campus are honestly more than 200 years old. So yeah. uh, the crossroads of the Civil War came through this area. Uh, yeah. we, uh, it's a beautiful yeah, campus. Yeah, we had the Army of the Potomac here. Uh, and after the Civil War, uh, both the North and South uh, treated their wounded here. So so the campus is historic in that way. Right. Um, we maintain the buildings because they're under national registry in their historic era. So, so we don't change things exterior wise. Right. Um, we do have things now that we didn't have 200 years ago, for example, air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we thank you. Yeah, we thank you. And, and as it's 90 <laughs> degrees, people are happy about that. Um, but we're very proud of the campus and, and, and the, and the landscape here. So we maintain that, but it's hollowed ground also, uh, because some of your, uh, listeners may have been here. Some of them may have seen us online, um, but we're also honored to be the home of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Um, so that memorial is prominently here on campus. Uh, it honors all of our fallen firefighters, career and volunteer, structural wildland aircraft firefighters in one single memorial where our nation pays respect to those lives lost. Right. Um, also for those uh, firefighters who have died before the National Memorial was created, uh, the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation has now established the Walk of Honor, uh, which are paver stones that are engraved with the names of firefighters that died, some in the 1800s, okay. early 1900s, and they're here on campus so that all of our fallen firefighters are in one location and honored appropriately. Right. Um, each October, we host a ceremony here on campus uh, in partnership with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. We support their efforts, uh, but that is a commitment that's made whenever there's a firefighter that dies in the line of duty. And that commitment is that we'll never forget their sacrifice. Right. That's important to the family. That's important to the coworkers. And that annual ceremony each year allows us to reflect and honor uh, those men and women that gave their all 
to make our communities better. So we're honored to have that here. And right. also part of having our students here uh, allows them to not only see that and experience it, but it also ties into the importance of our training mission. Uh, as, as you mentioned, we're, you know, sometimes we're a little bit ahead right. of where the fire service is. Uh, and we see that as our place, which is changing culture, yeah. right? If there's safety protocols that we can cover in classes, new elements coming out, uh, leadership issues, lessons learned from other events, uh, that's what we're all about, right? Provide training to build that network, but also to stimulate that discussion that sometimes is uncomfortable, um, but needs to happen right. in order for us to develop our leaders. Well, and that, the you know, there are other... Um I don't, I don't know if it's right to call them memorials on campus, but the Fallen Firefighters Memorial is, is so central to campus because, you know, if you haven't been here, all of the dorms are on one side of the campus. And to get to your classroom space every day, you're really walking past that memorial. And it, it really is impactful. So if you haven't ever been here, um, consider coming just for that. You know, I, I, again, I'd say come for class, but uh, just for that. You know, uh, because it really is. There's a there's another memorial for 9/11, uh, which is a, a really kind of a striking memorial because it's so uh, it's ambitious. Yes, you know, it really is. And then I, I honestly don't know what the uh, I read about it last night when I walked past it, but by the C building is mm-hmm. a, is another. Memorial. It's the Bex Memorial, which honors our emergency management providers okay. across the country. Okay. And way back, um, some of your older listeners may remember it used to be called Civil Defense. Okay. Right. So that's the memorial up front for those people okay. that were involved in civil defense or emergency management that unfortunately gave their lives right. helping communities after a disaster. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and the, the 9-11 memorial that you mentioned, um, you know, rightfully so, because this year we're honoring the 20th anniversary of that tragic event and, and the countless lives lost. Yeah. So is there is there something planned for that? So this year, because September 11th is on a weekend, uh, we'll be working with our colleagues from Connecticut. Uh, We host state weekends for a lot of the East Coast states here on campus on Saturdays and Sundays. So that's Connecticut State Weekend. Okay. Um, So our staff is working with the Fallen Firefighters Foundation, uh, the Connecticut State Fire uh, Service Program, and they're going to have a memorial ceremony uh, on Saturday morning before they start their classes here. Okay. That'll be great. All right. So uh, specific to the NFA and... uh, we should point out that campus isn't just the NFA. It's it's technically the NETC, Correct. the National Emergency Training, Training Center. Center. Yes. Uh, so there are other uh, curriculums being taught mm-hmm. here. But uh, for our firefighters, who can come to the NFA? Sure. And, and I would say the same is true for EMI. So Emergency Management Institute is our on-campus partner. So National Fire Academy is more associated with fire and EMS than EMI. Uh, but it's not uncommon for firefighters and EMS personnel to go to EMI classes. Right. For example, uh, EMI has a fantastic public information officer program. So people that are going to be handling media, social media, things like that, they have classes on evacuation um, they also do the incident management team position-specific classes. So okay. you'll find fire service people over on, on that side of the campus, too, and we have a really good relationship. Right. Uh, for the National Fire Academy side of the campus, uh, like I mentioned, about 25,000 students come through our doors every year from all across the country, and honestly, internationally. We have international students here uh, intermixed with our classes, not right now because of the right, COVID pandemic. Right. But, uh, you know, when I came through my EFO class, uh, we had a fire chief, uh, a chief fire officer from Hong Kong uh, in our class. Wow. So, you know, that brings a whole different dimension in, in addition to being in the class with people like you are from every corner of the country, right. uh, from different size departments, from different geographic areas, different political beliefs. Um, but we're all fire EMS providers. So we come together yeah. here to learn. 
Um, but who comes to the National Fire Academy uh, is everyone that's connected to the fire service. So uh, the process is really straight up. We have an electronic catalog, so people can go to our webpage. Uh, it's simple, just Google National Fire Academy, hit admissions button, uh, and it'll take you to our catalog, and you can look through the offerings that we have here. So uh, it could be incident management, it could be supervision, right. uh, it could be fire prevention, it could be uh, youth fire setter, uh, hazmat leadership. So we offer hundreds of classes here on campus uh, and they're all free of charge. So, so the key for people wanting to come is a figure out what you want to come to. Uh, we have an electronic application process and, and it's a very simple process. And the key is tell us what you do in your career volunteer fire department that matches up the prerequisites for the course. Right. And why are you coming here? And if you could answer that, then our admissions people will try to find you a seat here in the class. Now, keep in mind, it's competitive, right? So we have people yeah. from across the country wanting to come here, but we will do what we can to find room for you here at the academy. And even if that means adding classes, we'll do it to meet the demand. Right. So so it doesn't cost anything to apply, but more important, it doesn't cost you anything to come here other than your time and you pay for your meals while you're on campus. Right. So, so we'll provide the transportation to and from the airport. Uh, if you fly here, we'll reimburse you for your airfare. Uh, if you drive, we'll reimburse you for your mileage. Uh, we'll provide you with lodging. We'll provide you with world-class training with some amazing instructors yeah. uh, and all the materials you need. And what we ask you to do is to be engaged in the classes uh, and basically to give us your time and pay for your meals. So it's a pretty great opportunity. Well, and most departments pay for the your food, yes. you know, so there's yeah. there's really no investment monetarily from any firefighter to get up here. It really is just that uh, wanting to come and that investment of yes. time and energy, yeah. you know? And like you said, uh, we've said it on this podcast a number of times. Um, the The training is great, but my real aha moments, some of those have come from just those interactions with, like you said, somebody from Hong Kong right. or somebody, I, if, if any of our listeners who listen regularly know that uh, about a year ago I made a pretty decent faux pas on here where I said that somebody from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, but whatever, and I got the wrong department. But uh, that was my aha moment because I was speaking of staffing issues and somebody from, it wasn't Broken Arrow, again, I apologize to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, uh, but a, a, it was a smaller department, uh, had the exact same staffing issues. And I had that moment where I thought, you know what, I'm outside of my box and I'm realizing we're not special. We're, you know, I mean, right. everybody's got these problems. Yeah, and, and and what I like to tell people is, and I've had a chance and, and, and the, the fortune to travel across the country uh, in my role with the state training directors, um, but if you've been to one state, you've been to one state. If you've been to one state academy, you've been to one state academy. Right. If you've been to one fire station, you've been to one fire station, yeah. right? What you find out here uh, is the fire service is very similar in each community, but also very different. Yeah. 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 And there's people with different, you know, different takes on the problems and different solutions. Yeah. And, and, and the big thing that we look at, and even in 2021, we still have people in the American fire service that don't know that there's a national fire Academy. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, we see about 10% retire each year, either career volunteer. So, so, you know, the key is how does somebody share with them? Like you're here now, right. You know, you'll probably go back and tell others in your department, look, you need to go to the national fire Academy. You're mentoring that person you know, yeah. that man or woman in your organization, you know, you're looking out for them saying, you know, here's what you should do. You'll probably say you should go to the National Fire Academy. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I would I would instantly plug for anybody listening that's serious about firefighting. The command and control series, excellent classes, 
I took command and control for uh, multi, multi multi alarm multi alarm, right. and I took target hazards, mm-hmm. and those are great classes. Great. And uh, I mean, you know, no, there's not you're not pulling hose, but that's as close. I mean, you are commanding incidents. Right. That's that's unit level stuff. Yeah. So if you think there's nothing here like that, you're wrong. Um, it's totally. Uh, something that that everybody up uh, any anybody in the fire service can appreciate. Yeah, and and as I mentioned in in my background, right, one of the things that your listeners should should keep in mind is maybe you started a two day state class offered by the National Fire Academy. So contact your state training academy in your state. Right. Ask them when the National Fire Academy classes are. So, like, for tactics and strategy, incident command, maybe you cut your teeth on a two-day class okay. that we're offering in the state, and then you kind of get your appetite wet, and you say, you know what, I want more. Uh, and right. then eventually you'll come here on campus. And, and what I will tell people is once you come here, you'll come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you you literally make friends for, for life. Yes. Because you end up calling these people, you know, and, and there's group me uh, groups that we've got from year one and year two. And uh, I know... Uh, Hatch and I um, regularly communicate with somebody that we were in class with six years ago. Right. You know, yeah, some just, classes start Facebook pages, as yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. We had a, a state weekend here we hosted for Pennsylvania earlier this month. Uh, we had a group of individuals from the Pennsylvania state weekend that have been coming to state weekend for more than 15 years. Wow. And they sign up as a group for the class and each year they take a different class and they truly love it. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, it is kind of unique yeah. and kind of awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, you've already answered my next question of can you get the same training at other places, which was, yeah, at the state level. Yes. Um, so uh, specific to what's going on right now in the world, mm-hmm. how has the pandemic affected operations here at the National Fire Academy? So we have um, been working through our health and safety protocols, just like all your listeners have since last year. Um, We suspended in-person training on campus last March um, because what we knew is that we couldn't meet the guidelines at that time for social distancing, face covering. uh, And we also knew our first responders weren't going to be traveling anywhere, right? So so they were going to stay at home. They're going to take care of their communities, take care of their families, and people were going to travel. And at that point, really, people were were disencouraged. this and yeah. well, you know, they, they weren't going to travel, right? right? Um, right. So, so we had to work on our protocol so that we could reopen. Uh, we never stopped training. So, so we did two things. One is that we continue to work with our state partners to keep those regional delivery classes going. Now, what we ran into is with some states is they were prohibited from bringing groups of people together. So they suspended training altogether. So, so they, in essence, said, we can't offer your classes right now. But what we knew is other states wanted to and could and had students, so we reallocated those classes to other states that could. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll use an example. South Carolina um, you know, had a campus large enough with their fire academy that they could bring in students of classes of 30 and put right. them in an auditorium where they could be six feet apart and were able to d- deliver the training. So, so South Carolina picked up more classes in the past. We did the same thing with Georgia. Um, okay. so, so we moved a lot of classes around to states that had the capacity and the infrastructure to do it. So we didn't want to lose those training opportunities. The other thing that we did, much like a lot of fire departments did, is we found out other ways to do business. Uh, And we went to Zoom for the first time. And and not that Zoom is the end-all, be-all. It's a very basic platform. But we identified 10 classes, two-day classes here, that we could convert to Zoom, we could deliver through Zoom, and we were able to get the information across. Now, those classes were classroom-specific, so uh, 
basic fire investigation. So for that new officer that's going to go to a fire that doesn't want to wash evidence away, doesn't want to walk through evidence, right? So that class is perfect for Zoom. So our fire right. investigation team converted that to Zoom and, and has trained thousands of people over the last right. year in that. Uh, we saw the same thing, for example, in incident safety officer and health and safety officer, uh, two classes that don't require the campus, but we were able to convert that curriculum uh, to a Zoom format, well-received. Uh, we have a list of more than 300 people still that want to take incident safety officer um, in a Zoom format. So so we found the right classes for that right platform. Uh, and the others we either did through the states or we just had to unfortunately pause here on campus until right. it was safe to reopen. So, so Zoom has worked for us. The state deliveries have worked for us. Uh, and then roughly 20 weeks ago, we were able to reopen the campus here in Emmitsburg. Um, so the health and safety protocol is very similar to what you're seeing locally. Uh, mandatory face coverings, we went back to that two weeks ago for all people indoors. Uh, proof of vaccination or you get tested uh, here right. on campus. Uh, obviously, we're cleaning more than ever, and the campus is always beautiful, well taken care of. Yeah. Uh, but each night when you leave and go back to your dorm room, our facilities people miss the classrooms and make sure right. they're you know, cleaned appropriately under CDC guidelines and uh, food services following all the protocols. So really that's the change. Um, so, so what we have said is that your experience on campus won't change. There'll be more focus on health and safety, but we're not going to cut corners on how we deliver training. We're not going to cut corners in the classroom experience uh, and we're not going to cut corners in the student experience. So while yes, there's more emphasis on wearing face coverings, you know, self-check, right. symptoms, all those kind of things, going through the protocol here with vaccinations, uh, the classroom experience really is, is no different. Right. No, I, when I got the packet um, on, you know, uh, in advance of coming, and I was, I was like, golly, look, there's maps, and I'm not going to, you know, but it's almost like going to Disney World the first time. Yes. You know, an hour into it and you're like, okay, I get it. Right. I, I know where to go. I know what to do every morning. I do the, the same thing. I go right. get checked off and then it's off to class and it's, you know, I mean, it, it, it is as back to normal as I could say it could possibly be, you know, I mean, yeah. it really, it's it, other than everybody's got a mask on and I've, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Yes. Not, you know, I mean, you're not at full capacity right now, but every, everything's open. And, you know, as far as putting in for class and, uh, capacity and stuff like that i've never been here in a class that wasn't full right you know um i want the listeners to understand that you know everybody can come here yes every firefighter mm -hmm. has a ticket to get here but it is competitive and getting here is is kind of a cool thing right um you know it, it's a it's a neat thing to get into a class and to come up here and just have this experience right and and and, and i'll build on that um because it's not just for firefighters. And, and I know that's not what you meant, right? Right, right. But, but, you know, we have people that do fire service budgets. We have people that do uh, safety and health that are not firefighters, right? They're right. occupational uh, medicine people that are joining fire departments and providing that service. So they're coming here to find out what the National Fire Academy is offering. So, so really, if you are in the fire service, either career or volunteer, um, we have classes that are available to you. So find them on the catalog and come right. on down. Right. Okay. Uh, so... What, um, what are you, I know, you know, what are you working on as the National Fire Academy uh, that is kind of, we already talked about being on the, the future and, and the kind of cutting edge, but mm -hmm. where, where is the fire service going or where is the National Fire Academy trying to take it under your leadership? So, so we're, we're doing a couple of different things. I'll start with the people side. 
Um, so obviously one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that the National Fire Academy student population and instructor cadre represents the American Fire Service in the communities we serve. Um, okay. So we're working to get more women uh, right. on campus, more women as instructors, uh, more uh, students of color. So right. brown, black, Asian, uh, we want them to come here and take classes. We also want them to be instructors. So we're reaching out for some of those underrepresented populations here on campus right. to let them know uh, about our opportunity. So uh, specifically, we're working with the affinity group, so women in fire, uh, Black Chiefs Officers uh, Committee. We're working with the uh, Hispanic Firefighters Association, and we're sending them information on our classes and our openings so they can get it out to their members because they have a very specific right. uh, membership that, that they can reach out to and they support professional development. So oh, it's great. one of those things. How can you argue about it? So, so we want to see that group more represented here on campus. Right. Uh, we're also reaching out to hire more instructors uh, that are underrepresented here on campus. And we're getting some pretty good feedback, not where we want to be yet, but we're still working right. on it. And we know we have to, um, we're working on updating the executive fire officer program. Um, so we have the legacy program right now that, that you and your classmates are going right, through. Right. I'm in right. my we're, fifth year right. of my we're, fourth year We're glad to get program. you back, right, because we lost 2020, <laughs> so we're trying to make up. We promised to get you through by 2022, so, so we're working on that. Uh, but we're also updating the new curriculum, uh, and, and the, the new curriculum for EFO um, really was changed for, for two specific reasons. One is the feedback we heard was that four years was just too long. And yeah. I, I know you would say five years is well, even yeah, longer. Well, that's, that's a right. joke. I'm, know, really, I'm really only in my third year, so. Right. But, but what we saw with executive fire officer, by the end of the four-year program, a lot of those individuals were ready to retire. Yeah. So, so they said, look, I would have loved this to be shorter. But we also work with the board of visitors who said, we don't mind shorter. So two years is fine, but we want the academic rigor to be higher. Yeah. Uh, and that's something we've also heard, for example, from the city managers, uh, from fire boards that hire fire chiefs. And, and what we heard loud and clear is that when we're hiring a fire chief or an assistant chief or a deputy chief, we're not hiring the chief firefighter. We're hiring right. the fire chief. We want them to be that executive that can manage the fire department and look at it with business principles. So budget, personnel management, yep. fleet, uh, procurement, right? A strategic plan, uh, being able to come in and, and meet with the city council and say, this is where we want to be in five years. Uh, yeah. Community risk reduction, prevention strategy, staffing, you name it. Um, so, so we wanted to make sure that the EFO program, as it's being updated, not only covers that, and your program's getting a lot of those elements, right. but it's taken you four years to get there. Yeah. The new program, two years, um, we're going to compress the time, but we're not going to compress the quality, right? So you're still going to have to learn all those yeah. things. You're just going to be going to class a lot more. But the other thing is all those classes will be at the graduate level, where right now the current EFO is at the bachelor's level. So the academic rigor is going to be higher through the rubrics that right. we're creating. Uh, and, and our goal for that is that once you graduate the EFO program, uh, if you don't already have a bachelor, well, you'll, you have to have a bachelor's degree to get in the program. But if you don't have a master's degree, you could sit down with your college counselor and say, look, I finished the EFO, right. look at the ACE accreditation, which is the American College of Education, and say, look at all this training I've done, look at this educational experience I have, what will you give me credit toward for my yeah. master's? So you might be 15, you know, 30 yeah. credits away, but that's money you don't have to spend to get that master's. Yeah. Uh, and what that does is for your elected officials, your leadership team, you could say, look at the academic rigor. Yeah. that the men and women that are in leadership positions here at our agency have. So so that's one of the other projects we have in motion. Um, the other two, uh, or three, I'll add the third one, but the other two that are active right now 
uh, is we have a simulation lab here on campus that allows us to develop incident managers. So we have a, a multi-computer system here uh, that we can put different buildings up that show those buildings uh, on fire. The fires can spread, the fires can go down. Uh, so we can control that through technology. And we're letting incident management teams basically do that here on campus. Oh, but wow. that technology is getting a little tired. Uh, so we're in okay. the process of replacing that right now. But the other thing that we're going to do as we replace it is also go into the heads-up display uh, mode. So the students, as they look at the building, will be able to look at it through the goggles that they're wearing wow. uh, and see the fire that way. So as they look to the left, look to the right, look up or down, they'll actually see what a fire officer would see at the scene. Wow! Um, so that's something that we're pretty excited about because uh, it's something that we have a niche in uh, with the simulation yeah. lab, and it's something that we're pretty excited about. So that's coming uh, very soon, and, and we hope to have it in, in business by the beginning of the year. Um, the wow, other thing, awesome. Yeah, the other thing. Well, another reason for you to come back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing that we're working on is in our fire. Uh, plans class where people come in and, and do fire planning, right? So the codes, looking at sprinkler systems, looking at risers, all those different right. things that a lot of firefighters take for granted, right? That's somebody else's job. Yeah. But those fire inspectors, those plans examiners, uh, they need to know their business when they sign off on on those blueprints. So we are in the process of adding digital tables uh, to our lab for fire plans. So instead of rolling out the maps like a lot of people are used to, uh, a lot of fire agencies have gone to digital uh, blueprints. So okay. we'll have the tables there so we can do digital as so well. You're going to do like minority report with the screens. We'll and have the, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. We'll get yep. Tom Cruise. So pretty, cre cre pretty creative. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing uh, is a multi-year uh, project, but we're upgrading our burn range here where we train fire investigators. Um, so we are very proud to have a relationship with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF. Um, they have agents assigned here at the National Fire Academy who are certified fire investigators, uh, and they have a vested interest in making sure that the men and women that are doing fire investigations have a good base of knowledge, right. have skills and abilities. So we have uh, a number of programs here for fire investigators, uh, and we're upgrading the burn range where we actually bring in furniture from different locations. Uh, we set up buildings to look like a house, a business, okay. whatever. Uh, we set them on fire, knowing where the fire started and how they started. Uh, and then when they're extinguished, a few days later, the investigator students will come down uh, and basically get to process that scene as if it were real. Because right. it is real for them. It's oh, a fire that happened, yeah. and they're investigating. And we also just recently added an accelerant dog. Uh, to campus. So yeah, I, this, I met him this yes, afternoon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Dublin is a great resource. Uh, our uh, instructor um, who came to us, um, he has a canine accelerant dog. So we want our students to see what tool uh, that dog, that resource is, right? Um, right. So, so they get a chance to work with an accelerant dog here on campus, just so they know what the capabilities are. So it's uh, pretty exciting what's going on. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm going to ask you a question that yeah. isn't on the list. Okay. Um, so if you've never been here, there's a helipad out front, and the story, oh, and Camp David is like very close. Yeah, over yes. the hill. Yes. Uh, and the story is always that if a helicopter, if Marine One lands and you take a picture of Marine One, they're going to come take your phone, and everybody gets the same warning, and everybody, you know, and, and um, I actually just missed the president, I guess, because I came in Sunday later in the afternoon, and I guess he flew out Sunday midday because he was at Camp David on Friday when I when I last checked, and then I heard that he. So, is that one of those urban legends, or have people actually have their had their phones taken? Do you know? 
I have never heard of anybody having their phone taken. Okay. Uh, I, I do know that Camp David is close to our campus. Right, right. Um, we have the same security posture as Camp David. So we're a Homeland Security facility. Okay. Um, so you just can't drive onto our campus right. and, and walk around and take pictures. So, so you have to have a reason for being here or to be right. an approved guest. Um, but we do have a very good relationship with Camp David and also Raven Rock, uh, which is nearby also, which is uh, part of the Department of Defense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I, I had hoped I was going to see Marine One land, but I missed well, it. You never know. It could happen this <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's... Uh, Did you want to talk about the tunnels on campus next? Uh, well, you know, I, I only heard about that this afternoon. Sure. I mean, I, I, I really didn't know there were tunnels. There are tunnels. And those are... I mean, because this used to be a, a university, right? This a, used to be a, a, a Catholic college. Yeah. So, so what happened is, is that Mount St. Mary's was built just down the street from us. The college here uh, closed, and they were looking to sell it to someone, and that's when America Burning came out. Um, so, so thanks to a number of individuals, they identified this as a location close to Washington, D.C. that would be perfect. Right. Uh, and as you know from being here, you couldn't ask for a better campus to be at. Yeah, no, no. It, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's ideal, but why would a— Catholic University need tunnels? It's it's a great question, and, it, and it's an easy answer. Because next to us is Elizabeth Ann Seton, and they have a steam plant. So this campus used to uh. have steam coming next door, so this whole area was fed by steam from a okay. steam plant for our heating okay. and our hot water. Uh, we've moved away from that, right? right? So, so we're moving to go off the grid uh, with solar panels and things right. like that. But the tunnel still exists for the for the okay for the no, steam. That makes sense, right? I, somebody was asking why there was so much open space with with lawn around here. Right. I, I kept saying, well, it's, you know, it's all the silos. They right. got the they got silos under underground, you know, because we're gonna you know it's homeland security, so we'll we've got missiles here. But uh, no tunnels. Okay, now that makes total sense. Not nearly as mysterious as I was hoping. No, but you can make it a great story <laughs> if you want to. I mean, you can tell people you've been in the tunnels. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, what are you reading right now? I like to ask people that. Um, so I'm reading Simon Sinek, uh, oh, okay. which is Start With Why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I'm not knocking fire service publications because oh, no. they're a great wealth of information, but I also want to kind of be diversified right. uh, and read business uh, journals, read business articles, uh, read the newspaper every day to find out what's going on with right. current events across the country. Uh, but, but Simon Sinek is, you know, why? Yeah. Right. Because no, often, right. right and, and if you think about like our new firefighters coming through recruit school, the millennials and whatever else we want right. to call the next generation, they want to know why. Why yeah. do we do this? Well, we've always done it that way. Well, why? Did he also write, is it Leaders Eat Last? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think I have that yep. on my to-read pile. Yeah. So, uh, All right. Well, what book would you recommend, you know, as much as our, this is where most of our listeners are turning off okay. as soon as I start talking about books. Oh, this will be a great one. <laughs> yeah. What book would you recommend for firefighters to read? Who Move My Cheese. Okay. And, uh, and the reason is that as a firefighter, uh, we are constantly dealing with emergency issues. We're dealing with non-emergency issues. We're dealing with issues in our fire stations. We're dealing right. with issues with our coworkers. Uh, and usually it's because something was changed. And Who Moved My Cheese uh, is a great book about yep. how the littlest thing could become a big thing for somebody and you don't even realize it. No, no, you're absolutely right. And you I've weren't got expecting it. that, were you? Well, I've actually got that book on, um, I have a desk in my in my office that is books that I get at the used bookstore. Mm-hmm that are free for the taking yeah. for any firefighter that walks in my office and who moved the cheese is one of those. There you go. So yeah, no, that's a good book. 
All right, so uh, we actually have a set of questions that we ask all of our guests, and uh, they're very similar to the set of questions that used to get asked to the uh, people that were on the Actors Studio on Mm -hmm. TV, if you ever saw that. So uh, what is your favorite word or phrase on the fire ground? All hands working. Okay, all right. And what is your least favorite word? That's the way we've always done it, or tradition. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, see, that's on my... I actually have a list of phrases that I keep that I tell people that I'm working with that I never want to hear. Right. And that's my number one. Right. Is because we've always done it that way. Yeah. And, 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 and right. So, so that's the one that drives me crazy. But on the other hand, right, all hands working when you're listening to that rolling into an incident, you right. know, you're going to be busy Yeah, and you know, everybody's tied up. And you also know if you're sitting in a station that they're yeah. not coming back for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Those are both good. Uh, so engine or truck. How about rescue or squad? <laughs> you could do both. All right. You could use the hose from the engine yep. company or help yep. with the ladder. Yep. Okay. All right. So were you on the, the heavy rescue? Or? I've done rescue. I've done truck. I've done engine. Okay. Tender. Okay. So, so for our East Coast listeners, tanker. For yeah. our West Coast yeah. listeners, We're trying to break tender. that I, I know. We just under bought names. two of them and we... Right. We're, we, 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 it took a lot of doing, but we, yeah. we have been consistently calling them tenders. Yep. Yeah. So tender, also brush truck, and also medic. So wow. But yeah. But rescue because no you flying. know, no flying, no flying, no flying. <laughs> but the the nice thing with the rescuer squad, depending on what you want to call it, is that you're you're, you're going to be busy and do a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you have an amazing toolbox. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the best toolbox. Yes. Uh, what motivates you? It's easy doing a good job for others. Okay. Okay. And it's how not you, about it's not about me. How do you know? How do you know you're doing a good job? Um, it's really by interacting with people, right? Okay. So so we are in the service industry here at the National Fire Academy. Obviously, we're a training academy. Right. We provide classes, training, and education opportunities. Um, but the product, if you will, is having great training, having amazing instructors that can deliver that training, but having students that are engaged and are learning something. So that's right. that's how I know, by walking around and asking how we're doing and you know just having visits with students, either in the cafeteria, at the pub, well, um, when we see them in town. you know, Have you learned something? I have will, you, I will yeah. say uh, that, and I've been coming for probably six or seven years, and I've seen previous superintendents, and all of them did fantastic. I have seen you more than I've seen any previous superintendent uh, on any of my stays. And I'm only on my fourth day here yep. uh, for this stay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you you definitely are walking the walk of getting yeah. out and, and talking to the folks and getting that feedback. And thank you. And, and it's, you know, I hope your people don't listening don't think I don't have anything to do. No, right? no, Cause, no. Because no. I do. But, <laughs> but, but the students coming here and providing the classes is right. why we're here, right? We work for the American Fire Service. So yeah. I am, I'm, you know, no. you're my customer. That's a, I, yeah. Colin Powell is one of my favorites and he talked always about getting out and, uh, you know, you've got to go talk to the, the, the guys that are actually yes. doing it. So yep. agreed. Uh, all right. So what profession would you most want to do if you weren't in the fire service? I would be a veterinarian. Yeah. Yeah. Just love animals or I love animals. Animals can't talk to us but they bring us so much joy and right. happiness. And, you know, when you see an animal in distress, right. um, you want to help, right? Yeah. So it's a natural um, uh, emotion. So I would love to be a vet, although I probably couldn't do it. Um, it's a very hard profession, but yeah. I would like to do something to help animals. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I mean, should I ask you dog or cat? We have a cat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not anti-dog. 
No, not anti-dog, because as you know, we have our dog on campus, and yeah, yeah, yeah. he and I interact every day, so we're in a good place. Okay, and for yeah. a while, uh, you had a, uh, a groundhog on campus. We have a number of uh, wildlife <laughs> here on campus, so we have deer, um, we have groundhog, we have a variety of bird species on campus, okay, uh, including geese that, yeah. that don't. Oh leave. no, there's an angry there's an angry one mm-hmm. that uh, when I go running in the afternoon hisses and gets real big because yeah. he doesn't like me. Yeah, well, and then the groundhog was over underneath the shed, and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I saw something go underneath the shed, and I asked somebody else. He's like, "Oh yeah, no, that's the groundhog. Right, it's yeah. huge. Yes, well, he eats well. I had no yeah. idea they were that big. Right, yeah, I think I might have been confusing groundhog with prairie dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so uh, if you were introduced as the keynote speaker at a firefighter conference, what music would you want played as you take the stage? I couldn't come up with an answer. I'm, I'm oh. pretty good about it. Oh, and here's why. <laughs> Usually if I'm going on stage, I'm thinking about my presentation right, right, right. and what I'm going to say. I really wouldn't hear the music anyway, so I don't okay. have a theme song. Nothing? Yeah. Okay. Okay, right. what would you use as my theme song for the four days oh, you've geez. seen me? I hadn't thought about yours. Um Burning down the house, talking heads. Well, that's kind of a traditional fire theme, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Okay. But yeah, I don't have one that comes to mind, so I don't I don't have a theme song. Okay. I don't, I don't have a favorite song on the radio. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, at your retirement, how do you want to be remembered? As a coach or as a mentor? Okay. As a person that helped others. Right. Yeah, because it's, it's not about me. And you could talk to people that I've worked with in Oregon, um, people that I'm working with here. It's about the organization. It's about the mission. It's about right. the people. Uh, it's about our students. It's not about me, right? My job, my career, my profession uh, is to help others be successful, help others be better. Very much a, a servant leadership. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And if you could go back and give your rookie self back to that rookie volunteer firefighter. Many in years Jersey, ago. Many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice would you give yourself? I jotted down to be patient. Okay. Uh, that you don't control everything. Right. That you cannot fix everything. Amen. And to have balance of time, which includes family, work, pleasure, and time for yourself. Okay. You know, uh, there was a, (laughs) I actually had a weird aha moment on the first day, maybe this week. And it was something so inconsequential. I don't think it might've even been an accident, Mm -hmm. but somebody listed in one of the PowerPoint presentations life work balance yes and i have always said work life balance and listing it life work balance shifted the emphasis on life you well i mean i've always put work first in that work life balance right (laughs) and it was such a i mean when i saw it i was just like holy crap that's That really kind of changed my perspective because I might have been doing it wrong all these years. Yeah, and and some of that is cultural, right? Because we are rescuers, right? right? We are first responders. We need to fix everything, right? If we see something that doesn't look right, our natural tendency is to fix it. I fixed the easel over in the J building earlier today. Thank you. (laughs) But but, but if you think about it, if you're going past an emergency, let's say a car accident on your way home, and I hope that doesn't happen, but your natural instinct would be to stop. Yeah. Right. And if somebody was seriously hurt and you're with your family and you, the medics go, look, can you jump in the ambulance with us? We need an extra set of hands and go to the hospital. Yep. You would probably say yes. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the way we're wired. Right. But sometimes we get over consumed with that and we forget the family. We forget our friends and, and you know, we need to have that. Right. That life work balance. Okay. 
Well, Superintendent Eric Scablix, I've messed that up. <laughs> Superintendent Eric Scablix, I really appreciate you talking with me today. Uh, it's kind of tradition on our podcast to end an episode with a bunch of wells because we all sit around and just go, well, well, and that's the end. But since I'm the only one here, I'm going to ask you for a well. So, well, well, there we go. Okay. And that's it. I'm in. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate your time. All right. Combustible is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Combustible to make sure you don't miss out on an episode. Follow us on Facebook so we know how many of you listeners there are out there. And you can check us out online at combustiblethepodcast.com. As always, we would like to thank the Golden Dogs and True North Records for letting us use their song Saints at the Gates for our theme music. You can find the Golden Dogs music on any streaming platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later.